Christians are uh, such judgmental people. They just seem to spend their entire lives condemning people. And I don't mean, you know, just gays, but anyone who doesn't agree with their narrow set of beliefs and their outdated morals. Basically, they are just bigots. They're homophobic, they're sexist, and often they are sectarian to boot. Why can't Christians just learn to live and let live? This world is crying out for inclusiveness, not absolutism and exclusiveness. I thought Christianity was supposed to be, you know, all about love and acceptance. And didn't Jesus himself say that we are not to judge others? He without sin cast the first stone and all that. I don't judge others. That's not my place. And it's not really yours either. I know what's good for me, what's best for me. So just back off. I don't need you telling me that I'm not right with God or that I'm living an immoral life. You do you and I'll do me. Thank you very much. We live in an age where to make judgments on others is considered absolute taboo now. It's an age where supposedly everyone is entitled to live as they see fit and not be denounced by others for their moral choices. And this is especially so in the area of sexuality. The prevailing ethos today says that people should be free to set their own sexual morals, even if that means, you know, having multiple sexual partners, um, marrying somebody of the same sex, or indeed even choosing your own gender identity. And it should be said that this spirit has infected the more liberal wing of Christianity. So-called progressive Christianity argues that what is needed from the church is affirmation of people's lifestyles, not condemnation. Indeed, refusing to affirm another's choices is for progressives the new cardinal sin. Although I hesitate to use the word sin because progressives don't even like the term sin at all. So how are we as adherents of historic Christianity to respond to this charge of intolerance? And how can we make this increasingly common roadblock to faith into a signpost to belief in biblical Christianity. So that's the challenge for this evening's talk in our roadblock or signpost series. And as has been the pattern up to now, 
I'm going to begin with some points of defense before then turning the tables and using this objection to actually point people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know that many biblical scholars believe that seven is the perfect number. So, here are seven, seven points of defense. Number one, there's surely a real irony involved in this charge of judgmentalism. We are being condemned for being judgmental. But is that not precisely what our critics are doing in condemning us? They are judging us for being judgmental. And often, may I say it, using very angry and very vitriolic language to do so. And if you don't believe me, look at social media and some of the comments that are made against evangelical Christians. You can't surely have it both ways. You cannot say that we should never judge others whilst in the same breath damning conservative evangelical Christians for their views and behavior. In condemning us, our critics are proven guilty of not practicing what they preach. And let it be said that for all the talk about live and let live, our society can still be very, very quick to condemn people. Just ask Philip Schofield. I'm not saying that his condemnation is wrong. Indeed, he's rightly condemned for his dishonesty and his immoral behavior. But my point is that his condemnation has been widespread, including from many of those who celebrated his coming out as gay a few years back. So it's not just Christians who judge the behavior of others. We all do it. Secondly, the charge of judgmentalism is often, as with so many of these objections to Christianity, it's just a smokescreen for sin. People employ it to justify their own choices and lifestyle. They want to live life according to their own rules, with self on the throne. They have no wish to accept that in the eyes of God, they are living immoral, sinful lives. And so we have the mantras regurgitated. Don't be so judgmental. Each to his own. Live and let live. You follow your truth and I'll follow mine, etc., etc. Oftentimes, this is just the recourse of those who bow before the shrine of self rather than bow to the God who gave them life. Thirdly, this charge is based upon a denial of absolute morality. Morality becomes relative. It becomes a free-for-all in which there are no clearly defined lines between right 
and wrong. Right is just what I say it is, what I deem it to be. But that is miles away from the biblical understanding of morality. It is God and God alone who defines what is right and wrong. And God has set out his moral law in the Bible. Man is not at liberty to remake morality according to his own preferences and values. There is a God-given standard, a timeless God-given standard by which men and women are obligated to live. So it's not okay to just live out your own truth according to your own standards. Man is accountable to God for his choices and actions. And this very much applies to matters of sex and gender, where the Bible sets forth unequivocal sexual parameters and sexual ethics. Fourthly, this charge involves a redefinition of tolerance. Tolerance, as traditionally defined, means that I have the right to disagree with you, albeit in an agreeable manner. As Voltaire was alleged to have said, I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. I don't have the right to be violent towards you or to shout you down in an abusive manner, but I don't have to agree with you. And I can tell you where I think you are wrong, just as you can tell me where you think I am wrong. But today, tolerance has been redefined as affirmation. I now cannot tell you that you are wrong or that you are living an immoral lifestyle. That's to commit the unpardonable sin of intolerance. And then I can be written off as a bigot. Hence, we have cancel culture, people being forbidden to say what they really think. But what you and I must understand is that this redefinition of tolerance, that is just a fad of our current age. There is absolutely no reason why we should subscribe to it, that we should accept it. In actual fact, this redefined tolerance is the enemy of free thought and free speech. It's actually the hallmark of a society that is becoming more repressive, not more free. And it is not one to which Christians should feel that they have to conform. We should be allowed to speak out and speak against. Fifthly, there is a rightful place for judgment. People are very fond of quoting Matthew 7 verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. But what people are less keen to do is to read the verse in context. 
What Jesus is, is doing is criticizing. And yes, you heard that correctly. Jesus was criticizing. He was criticizing those who are hypocrites. Those who do the very things that they condemn others for doing. Hence, Jesus goes on to give the famous illustration of the speck of sawdust and the plank. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And note that, so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That involves judgment. The speck has to be identified as such and then dealt with. Whilst it is true that Christians are commanded to refrain from any backbiting and backstabbing of their brothers and sisters and indeed their fellow man, The fact is that the Bible is replete with exhortations to believers to exercise judgment. Jesus warned his followers to be on the lookout for wolves, i.e. false teachers. In John 7 verse 24, he directs his listeners to stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Being willing and able to make judgments on others is necessary for a healthy community. In Galatians 6 verse 1, the Apostle Paul encourages spiritually mature Christians to restore a brother who is caught in sin. Well, you can't do that without first of all recognizing and calling out the sin. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the church at Corinth that it's their job to judge fellow believers. And in extreme cases, they may have to uh, excommunicate someone who continues to live a life of gross immorality. That involves judgment, folks. Now, you might come back and say, well, that's an intra-church matter and I'm not part of the church, so stop judging me. But as Christians, we are exhorted to be salt and light in society. And that means taking a stand for morality as set out in God's word. We are not to be complicit with evil. We are not to indulge people in their sin. We are to speak out against the declension of moral standards. This will make us unpopular, but it is our divinely granted remit. People won't like it, but we have a responsibility to obey God, not men. Of course, it is important that we do so in as loving and gentle a way as possible. But we don't buckle under the pressure to just stay silent or just affirm everything we see around us. We possess a much higher calling than that. Number six, 
And this follows directly on from the previous point. Love should never come at the expense of truth. We all need to hear uncomfortable truths. Your truth may have to be brought into sharp realignment with the truth. Simply affirming others in their moral choices and lifestyle is not actually the loving thing to do. Turning a blind eye or buttoning our lips is actually a dereliction of duty to our friends and indeed our enemies. When we know that they are in a position of danger before a holy God. Sinners need to be warned of what lies ahead should they persist in living lives according to their own morality and values and in contradiction of God's revealed will. It is not loving to to stay silent, to refuse to challenge when a person's very soul is at stake. And many a converted sinner has had cause to thank a friend or even maybe a stranger for speaking the truth in love and bringing them to the place of repentance and then faith in Jesus Christ. Real love should never be reduced to mere affirmation. The Bible does not mandate us to chase popularity It does mandate us to speak the truth, whatever the consequences. And finally, by way of defense, I do want to say a brief word about today's progressive Christianity. True, you won't hear much about judgment from this source. And just about the only thing that progressive Christians will condemn is traditional Christianity and its followers. But please understand that such a movement is far removed from what the Bible teaches. Progressive Christianity is anti-biblical. It's a man-made philosophy which subordinates biblical truth to the spirit of the age. So please don't be duped by what its advocates say. All they will do is confirm you in the error of your ways. And I come now to the signpost part of this talk. Can this objection that Christians are so judgmental be transformed into a signpost to faith in Jesus? Well, I can but try. And this time, there are a mere four points. Number one, the Bible's defining of moral boundaries is actually for your benefit. Rather than writing off evangelical Christians as narrow-minded and judgmental, it's worth reflecting on where they are taking their morality from, on what it is based answer the Bible, God's word. And what we must all understand is that the God of the Bible is good in himself. And what he wants for his creatures, for human beings, is their very best. 
After all, that's why God has created us. He created us for fellowship with Him, to enjoy Him forever. God is not a killjoy. He wants us to flourish, and He has given us all manner of things to enjoy. And where God has demarcated the line between what is right and what is wrong, this is based upon what He has decreed as good and evil. So where God forbids a certain lifestyle, it's because, not because he's a killjoy, it's because it's wrong. And ultimately, it is destructive of the purpose for which we were made. To live your life in defiance of his standards and to refuse to listen to the warnings and admonitions of his people is thus to place yourself in a position of grave eternal harm. Secondly, the Bible does condemn self-righteousness. It does condemn self-righteousness. So let me meet my imaginary opponent halfway. It is true that the Bible in no way condones those who adopt an uppity, self-righteous, smug, censorious attitude towards others. But you see, all true believers in Christ are self-confessed sinners who have been saved by God's grace. They understand that they possess absolutely no saving merit of their own. As is often quoted A Christian is just like a beggar who tells another beggar where to get bread. A Christian has no right to think of himself or herself as better than those around them. Jesus indeed reserved his strongest words of condemnation for the self-righteous Pharisees of his day who did think of themselves as inherently good, as certainly better than others, and as worthy of God's favor and blessing. The genuine Christian is one who acknowledges that we all have a natural tendency towards self-justification, and that we all have a built-in inclination to condemn others, but to excuse our own shortcomings and failings. And the Christian gospel then forces us to face up to our sin, to realize that each one of us is warped and corrupted by sin. And it's only by God's grace and not any deluded notions of our own righteousness by which we are saved. Now that does not marry with a spirit of being judgmental. And let me add, the Bible is very quick to denounce the hypocrite. Jesus, as we've already heard, was unsparing when he confronted hypocrisy, those who honored God with their lips, but little else. And let it be said that the New Testament won't permit us, to uh, won't sanction us in Uh, acting aggressively or obnoxiously in the way that we seek to uphold God's morality and standards. We are to speak out and speak against, but we're always to do so 
in a non-violent manner and with the maximum winsomeness that the situation affords. Gentleness and respect should characterize, characterize the way in which we express our disapproval of the life choices of those with whom we disagree. We are not to be, you know, aggressive, obnoxious uh, in our condemnation of people far from it. And one more thing before moving on to point three. I don't deny that you may well have encountered Christians who are guilty of some or all of these things, who are self-righteous, who are hypocritical, who even, dare I say it, are obnoxious in their manner. But in that case, I would plead with you to look beyond them to the person of Jesus Christ himself. You will find nothing but holy, H-O-L-Y, holy love with him. And he is the one that you need to fix your eyes upon. We as Christians will always in this life be imperfect representations of him who is alone, sinless perfection. But he's the one that you need to focus upon. And that does then take me to point three. Someday you are going to meet Jesus Christ as your judge. You may resent being on the receiving end of condemnation today. But should you persist in your sin, then be certain that you are going to face Jesus as your judge. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment, says the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 27. And the apostle Paul leaves no room for doubt as to the identity of the judge, Paul writes, God has set a day, or said, Paul said, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Acts 17, verse 31. In that day, when you face Jesus, the judge of all mankind, it will be no good pleading your truth or that you lived an authentic life consistent with your own moral values and ethics. You will face him who claimed to be the truth and one who in his omniscience knows all your secret thoughts and motives. Never mind all your words and your outward deeds. So whilst you mightn't care for those pesky Christians who keep going on about God's standards and ways, you would do well to investigate for yourself what the Bible has to say about truth and morality. Make sure that when you meet Jesus, you encounter him as your saviour rather than exclusively as your judge. And that leads me then to my final point. Christ has submitted to judgment on your behalf. Christ has submitted to judgment on your behalf. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came into this fallen world that he might die for sinners. And that, by the way, is you.
Having lived a perfect life, Jesus went to Calvary's cross where he took your place and mine, dying the death that we deserve for our rebellion against God's standards and ways. God the Father punished his son so that you and I might be forgiven our sin and enter into a joyous eternal relationship with him. Jesus had done no wrong. Indeed, had he done so, he couldn't have atoned for our sin. But in his sinlessness, he willingly subjected himself to the judgment of God as he substituted himself for you and for me. Jesus could have appealed to his own perfect righteousness as reason not to go to the cross, but he didn't. He took our sin upon himself and yielded to an excruciatingly painful and horrifically shameful death, an accursed death, so that you and I might have the opportunity to possess eternal life. So in closing, I would beseech you to let go of any anger at Christians who tell you that if you persist in your sin, persist in living according to your own rules and standards, then you aren't right with God and you need to repent. At the end of the day, the Christian who calls you out for your sin is simply being obedient to his or her master, the one with whom you have an unavoidable appointment. So, Christians are so judgmental. Well, if by that you are condemning a sense of proud, unloving self-righteousness that you have experienced from a professing Christian, then an apology is due. But no apology, no apology will be offered for speaking the truth and calling you to consider how your life matches up to God's ways as set forth in his word. The one whom you are keen to denounce as being judgmental may in fact be doing you the greatest service possible by inviting you to repent of your ways and come to enjoy the gift of eternal life that God offers you through his son, Jesus. Rather than lash out at Christians for being judgmental, Maybe you need to take a step back and consider whether you stand rightly condemned for your sin. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.